0: A good group of children this morning. We're glad to have them. Thank you, Luke. <clears throat> I want you to use your imagination with me this morning. Uh, you remember um, God used Moses to deliver the Israelites out of bondage to Egypt. And they came out and they uh, came to Mount Sinai, and God gave a tremendous act of grace by revealing himself through the law. So that they would understand who God was, who they were, because He was creating them at the same time into a people of God there at Mount Sinai. You remember though that because of their sin, because of their unbelief, because of their fear, um, when it came time to actually go in and receive all that God had promised, they failed through their unbelief, through their fears, through their doubts. And they drew back from everything that God had promised them. So as a result, they had to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years, taking a, a journey that should have taken 11 days. 11 days. They were that close. At the end of the, 11, uh, at the, end of the 40 years, now they've fought a couple of battles, and they're in the, the hill country of Moab. Where that would be today would be, it would be on the east side of the Jordan River in the modern uh, country of Jordan. And it's high country, and you look down across the Dead Sea and across the Jordan River there, and you can see into Israel. So there they were. Um, this was the first time, everybody except for Joshua and Caleb, it was the first time they had actually seen the promise that God had given to them. First glimpse. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is addressing them for the last time. He's about to die. He's not going to be able to enter in because of his own sin. But these people are, and he's prepared them for 40 years to go into this. This is a whole new generation than that which came out from Egypt. And so here they are, they're standing there, and in Deuteronomy chapter 11... Moses is talking to them, and he says, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. The curse, if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God, and turn from the way that I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. And so then he goes on to tell them later on in in this chapter about two mountains that are going to be there that they will see. In chapter 30, at the very end of the, of the book, he comes back to this and he tells them about these two mountains. Now, these two mountains are called Mount Gerizim in the south and Mount Ebal in the north. And these two mountains form a natural valley between them, and it's a very shallow valley, but it's high up and um, it's a narrow valley, and it forms a natural amphitheater between these two mountains. And so God is telling them, now they haven't ever seen this before. He's telling them, when you get over there on that side, and this is, it's found right in the heart of Israel. It's where these two mountains are located. So you got Mount Gerizim, Mount Ebal, and Moses is telling them, when you get to these two mountains, you're supposed to do a couple of things here. Uh, You have 12 tribes of Israel. We're going to divide ourselves in half. Uh, Six tribes on Mount Gerizim, six tribes on Mount Ebal. On Mount Gerizim, You're supposed to read all the blessings of God. And you're going to find these blessings and curses. They're going to be listed out in very great detail in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Uh, You've got chapter 27 and chapter 28, the blessings and the curses. And it's telling them uh, how to live and the consequences when they do it right and the consequences when they do it wrong. So they... When they get there, they divide themselves into these two groups, and they're reading the blessings on Mount Gerizim. Um, Later on, much later, closer to the New Testament times, the Samaritan people are actually going to build a temple to worship God on Mount Gerizim. The other side of the valley is Mount Ebal. And Mount Ebal, the six tribes that are there, are going to read all the curses all the curses that come upon people if they disobey God's commands. And they're horrific. Terrible things happen if you disobey. And so this is what Moses is telling them. I'm setting before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And you get to choose which one you're going to follow. Now, on Mount Ebal, he also commanded them to do a couple of other things. Um, When you get to Mount Ebal... They're supposed to not only read the curses and go over all of that, but they're supposed to do a couple of positive things. One of the things that they're going to do is they're going to... um, Joshua is supposed to take some stones, plaster them over, and write on them the words of the law that they received from God on Mount Sinai. He's right to make a copy of it and set it up there on Mount Ebal. Also, they're going to build an altar there, an altar of sacrifice. So the blessings are going to be on Mount Gerizim. The curses are over here on Mount Ebal. And on Mount Ebal, they've got these big stones. And engraved in the plaster on that stone is the words of God's law. And then beside it, they build an altar. And on that altar, they slaughter a sacrifice uh, for sin. So why did they do that on Mount Evil? Sacrifice is normally an act of worship, isn't it? But the blessings and the worship is going to be on Mount Gerizim. Sacrifice is going to be on Mount Evil. Why do you suppose it's on Mount Evil That the altar was built. Yeah. <laughs> okay, because that's where it was needed because it's in the context of blessing that requires the sacrifice. And so it's because that's where it was needed that the sacrifice took place because when, when there's sin, the law that God writes on there, to summarize it, in the words of Ezekiel later on, the soul that sins, it will die. And that's what God said in Garden of of Eden at the beginning, wasn't it? Don't eat the fruit of this tree because the day that you eat it, your soul will die. And that's what happened. God was telling us the truth. So here they are on Mount Mount, uh, Ebal and they're called to make this altar for atonement there and a copy of the law because that's where it was needed. And so he says, Moses does, I'm offering to you life and death, blessings and curses. And in chapter 30, he makes this appeal. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that it will go well with you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to His voice, and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. Now that's a strong statement. The Lord is your life. So note the comparison that he makes, life and death, blessing and curses. Why when does the New Testament tell us, Jesus told us and then Paul reinforces it, so does Peter, so does John. As Christian people, we're called upon to bless when we are cursed. Why? Life and death, blessing and curses. Blessing leads to life. Curses result in death. We are not people who deal with death. We are people who deal with life. So when people curse us, our response is to bless them life and death blessing and curses choose life so this is why it's so important the words that we use because Jesus has told us it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks if there is cursing coming out of our mouth it means there is death in our heart that's what it means out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks Uh, what's coming out of our mouths if it's a curse uh, if it's animosity if it's wishing ill toward our fellow human being then we are living in death when the blessings come out it's a proclamation of what's within us life and you cannot give what you do not have if we are filled with death, it's hard for us to give life to anybody. It's impossible because whatever is in us is going to come out. So our words are important because it's an indication of what's going on in our heart and our relationship with God. And so we are people who deal with life, not in death. And as they try to put curses upon us, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death, that's the curse. And that curse doesn't find any hold upon us if we are filled with life. Proverbs tells us that an undeserved curse will not come to rest. So you're safe, depending on what's in your heart. What's in your heart is what comes out of your mouth, especially unguarded reaction-response kind of thing. That's what's the really going on inside. So back to the verses that Luke was sharing this morning with the children in the book of Hebrews. Jesus went to Jerusalem many times, both as a boy and later on as a man. And he walked at streets, he healed people, he taught in the temple courts, but he was crucified. Not in, the temp- not in the Holy of Holies, not even in the temple courts, but rather outside the city gates. Why? Because that's where it was needed. So, who was outside the city gates? Those considered unclean, those who were considered defiled, those who were under a curse. Those are the ones outside the gates. Now read through the Gospels, and better yet, read back um, in the book of Revelation, and it tells you who is outside, and it lists, it's a long list of those who are outside the city gates. And all of these people are cursed, um, lost, uh, forsaken people, marginalized, excluded from everything. That's who's outside the city gates. And so where does Jesus die? Outside the gates. That's what it's for. Just like on Mount Ebal, the sacrifice was there where the curses were read because the curses need the sacrifice in order for those people to pass from cursed to blessing, from death into life. And it's through the sacrifice and only through that sacrifice that that transformation takes place. So Jesus comes to those outside the camp, to those who are excluded. And so it tells us, the high priest carries the blood of the animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. The way it worked was that if you had a sin in your life that you needed to confess, you would go and you'd talk to the priest and they would get the, the lamb or the, or the bull, or if you were poor, maybe um, a couple of turtle doves, you'd place your hand on the animal's head. And you would confess your sin. Then the animal took the death that should have been ours. They slit its throat and it died. They collected that blood and they took it. This is the sacrifice for sin. And the high priest took it and he sprinkled it on the altar. The blood of atonement. The blood so that we can once again be at one with God. But the the sacrifice, the the animal, the carcass, the sin offering one, they took that outside the camp and burned it because there was a a transference of your sin from you to that animal. And they take the animal outside and burn it. Nobody can eat of that one. No one uh, can use any part of that except the blood. And so that's what's taking place here with the cross of Jesus. Uh, he takes the disgrace, he takes the sin, yours and mine. And because he did this, we don't need the animals anymore. Um, in Leviticus chapter 17, it tells us that the life of the animal is in the blood. And God says to the Israelites, I have given you that blood as an atonement for your sin. So they understood, if you read the book of Hebrews carefully, it says the people in the Old Testament knew that the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin it was an act of faith God said it was God's idea not man's idea It wasn't people's idea to say well maybe we could substitute this animal for our sin that wasn't an idea that came in the heart of men. this was a revelation from God God said I have given it to you it started early didn't it way back in Genesis chapter 3 Adam and Eve tried to come up with fig leaves to cover over their sin because now they felt for the first time shame and guilt and fear and they had never experienced those things before and all of our coverings that we try to make they're not very good ideas we can't can't do that Uh, Adam and Eve tried fig leaves Isaiah talks about people who, who say that people try to cover their deeds their misdeeds with good deeds and it's like cobwebs, spider's webs that's not very effective either but God, right there in Genesis, He gave skins of animals to cover Adam and Eve. Animals died. Whenever there's sin, there is death. Uh, that's the consequence of sin. Any sin. Every sin. No such thing as a small sin. We have a tiny little bitty sin. Some, somebody's going to die. So God in His mercy gave them the animals to help them understand so that when Jesus came and he died on the cross we would know what he was doing for us we would realize the enormity the greatness of his love and mercy and his grace and we could understand that to deal with our sin it takes an act of God it can't be an act of people we fail every time it takes an act of God and it's such a serious thing even that tiny little sin, that it takes the death of God himself through his son, Jesus Christ. So Jesus dies outside the gate because he becomes a curse for us, taking our sins and the consequences of our sin and the judgment of our sin upon himself. All the shame, all the guilt, all the fear, all the negative kinds of things that are there, the hatred... The animosity, uh, all of the, the loneliness and the emptiness, he takes all of that on himself and he becomes that for us. And he bears our sins outside the city gates. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate. Why did he do that? To make the people holy. That's why he died. For you? for me, to make us holy because there's no possible way we could ever come anywhere close to that apart from God's grace and mercy. So the writer of Hebrews says, okay, what is our response? Jesus has done that for us. What is our response? He says in verse 13, let us then go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore. You know, Paul talks about his presentation of the gospel. And he says that um, the Greeks think it's foolish. The Jews are demanding a sign. But we preach Christ crucified. The weakness of God becomes the power and the source of our salvation. And so sometimes, as Christians... You know, we're a little embarrassed to, to speak up for Christ or, or to admit to, in some circles, that we actually know the Lord. You know, I think about that sometimes, and I think about, uh, man, this is our Gethsemane all over again, isn't it? Every time that happens, we're back in the garden. Ah, uh, You're one of his followers, weren't you? <laughs> Not me, man. I don't know that guy. <laughs> uh, I don't even go to church. <laughs> You know, so we crawfish and backpedal. Um, Hebrews says, no, this is what he did for us. His love, his grace, his mercy, what we were unable and could never do for ourselves. So let's go out to him and meet him where he has met us at the foot of the cross and not be ashamed or embarrassed of the cross of Jesus Christ. It's our salvation. As Moses told the people back in Deuteronomy, the Lord is your life. And John makes it even clearer. He who has the Son has life and he who does not have the Son does not have life and they are abiding in death. And that's all there is. Uh, You're either dead or you're alive. You're not a little bit dead. Uh, You know, it's like being a little bit pregnant, you know. Well, (laughs) you either are or you're not. (laughs) It's just as simple as that. And either you're alive or you're dead. And we're walking in one of those things. So he says in verse 15, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. We want to stop right there. We can all do that. Give the fruit of praise and come here Sunday mornings and we can offer the sacrifice of praise. That's not where it stops. And do not forget to do good and to share with others For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And so it's more than just words, it's a life that's lived following after Him. What other sacrifices does the Bible talk about that we as Christians offer up to God? Fruit of lips? What else? Think of any? Romans chapter 12. Therefore, understanding the mercies of God that we have all received, let us offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice, which is, some translations say, reasonable service. Others say, this is your spiritual worship. The real worship is, what are you doing with and in and through your bodies as you go through every day? Not just Sundays, not just when we're around Christian friends but especially when we're out in the rest of the world, uh, at school, at work, in a home, in the grocery store, uh, doing laundry, whatever we're doing. Um, What's going on inside us then, in our bodies, in our minds, what's coming out of our mouth? That's where our real worship is. And so we go forth with Christ, uh, receiving from Him the blessings that results in life, understanding that He became a curse for us that in Him we might become the sons and daughters of God. Let's pray. Father, we give You thanks and praise for the greatness of Your love that You demonstrated to us so clearly and effectively in Your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank You that by His grace and mercy, and through the sacrifice that He paid for us, we might move from curses into blessing from death into life. For that we give you thanks and praise. And we ask, Lord, that as we go through each day, as each day dawns and we open our eyes, that our hearts would be filled with thanksgiving and praise, that we would offer to you continually, day by day, our complete selves as an act of worship, that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me ask you um, if you were told that you had less than 12 hours to live okay they come and tell you you've got less than 12 hours to live what would you do 12 hours what would you do it was just before the Passover feast Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father having loved his own who were in the world he now showed them the full extent of his love and it says that the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus that was already in his heart he was there he had already determined in his heart he's going to do this Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God, and he was returning to God. So he knows he has just a few hours left to live. He knows that the man who's going to betray him is sitting right there. He knows Peter's going to deny him and swear with an oath, call curses on himself that he never knew the man. He looks into the eyes of those 12 men, and he knows that every one of them is going to run away, break every commitment that they've made. All the promises, all the good intentions. And they don't even know it. They don't know themselves. But he does. And so what he does, he knows that he comes from God and is returning to God. He He knows who he is. What does he do? How does he use that great power? And he's got these people right in his hand. What does he do in the face of betrayal? Ties a towel around him. He gets down on the floor on his hands and knees and he washes the feet of these men. That's God's response to sin and betrayal. That's what he does with the last few hours of his life. And he tells the disciples, I have greatly longed for this day to eat this meal with you. And he offers that to us to participate in that this morning. Uh, He knows who we are. He knows what's in our heart. He knows where we've been, what we've done, what we've said. He knows all of that. The good, He knows that and commends it. The not so good, He died for that, to forgive it and to cleanse it and to give us an opportunity to start fresh with Him. And then He invites us, like He invited those disciples to come and share. So will those who are serving communion please come forward. And our church has open communion. If you can answer that call from Christ to come, uh, then you are welcome to come.